He's hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Trump is a really bad man that's deporting everyone on the planet. Hello, welcome to the program. My name's Brian Lilly, and I'm here to bring you the truth about DACA, the so-called Dreamers Act. You may have heard that Donald Trump is looking to deport 800,000 people. You may have heard that he's changing an Obama Obama administration-era law that allowed people that came to the United States illegally as children to stay in the country. Neither of those is true. You heard me correct. Neither of those is true. Donald Trump is not about to deport 800,000 people. Secondly, it is not an Obama administration era law. It was an executive order. And in a minute, for those that don't know the difference between a law passed by Congress and an executive order, I will explain the difference. But DACA which is the short form for uh, the act. Let me get you the full name. It is the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. DACA was not a law, never a law. It was an executive order, meaning the president said, here's what you're going to do by passing Congress. Today, Trump's Attorney General Jeff Sessions came out and said, DACA is going bye-bye. I'm here today to announce that the program known as DACA that was effectuated under the Obama administration is being rescinded. This will enable the Department of Homeland Security to conduct an orderly change and fulfill the desire of this administration to create a time period for Congress to act, should it so choose. Why, why, why is he saying give time for Congress to act? Because they're withdrawing the executive order, but giving Congress six months to act. Now, why does this matter? This matters because immigration law is supposed to be decided by Congress. The United States is a republic. It's not even a democracy if you want to get technical. It is a republic. And under their system of government, there are equal but separate branches of government, as there somewhat are in our government, except they're not exactly separate. In Canada, the executive... The prime minister and his cabinet sit in the legislature. In the United States, they don't do that. So you've got the executive branch. That's the president and his cabinet. You've got the legislative branch. That's the House of Representatives and the Senate. And then you've got the judiciary, all the federal courts, the Supreme Court, all of that. The legislative branch is supposed to propose and pass laws. Now, the president has a say. They can veto a law. They can sign a law. They can use their bully pulpit to try and force change. But the president doesn't make law by decree. And yet that is what Barack Obama did. Because in June 2012, Barack Obama went to the Rose Garden. This is the 15th of June 2012. Barack Obama went to the Rose Garden and made a speech. And that's how the Dreamers Initiative, or DACA, came in. Now, why did he do it that way? Why did he go around Congress? Because he couldn't get it through Congress. And he couldn't even get it through Congress when the Democrats held both houses. When the Democrats held the House and the Senate from 2008 to 2010, 
This was all talked about. Immigration reform was talked about. But he couldn't get it passed. In 2010, the Republicans took the House of Representatives back with the Tea Party movement during the midterms. And then in this last election, they were able to take back the, um, uh, the House, the Senate, and the White House. So they're in control. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand why people would support something like DACA. DACA says if you are a child who was brought here by your parents and you meet certain requirements and you pay $495 and fill out these forms, essentially they're saying pay a head tax, which liberals hate except when they bring it in, which they do often. If you do all of these things, then you can stay. I understand the desire to say, look, they came here as kids. They came here as children and they have they had no choice in the matter. And I get that. If I was to smuggle my kids into another country, they would have no say in the matter. Well, the older ones might now. But we you're talking about little kids. You're talking about a four year old. Does they do they have a choice that their parents smuggled them across the border? No. They don't. And I understand all of those arguments. But that doesn't change the fact that the headlines you're hearing that Donald Trump is deporting 800,000 people, young people that grew up in this country, they don't know anywhere else. That's not what he's doing. He's rescinding an executive order. Now, I think that Donald Trump has brought in too many executive orders himself. But Barack Obama was the king of executive orders. If he couldn't get something passed through Congress, he would sign an executive order effectively telling the different branches of government how they're going to act. And that's what DACA did. It told Homeland Security and other branches of government, uh, ICE, the uh, Immigration Customs Enforcement, it told them how to treat these people. It told different branches of government what services to give them. It told them how to process them. But none of it was by law. The United States overthrew a system of rule by king in 1776. And despite George Washington being offered the position of king, they have always refused the idea that they would go back to having a king. This is why the power of the executive order, regardless of who's in office, Donald Trump, Barack Obama, George Bush, Bill Clinton, regardless of who's in power, it should be used sparingly, if at all. Can you imagine if we had in our system here, for all the Canadian liberals out there saying, oh, but you don't understand, they had to do it. How would you feel if Stephen Harper had this power when he was in that he could just decree law or de facto law because it never became a law for everyone arguing about this? We do not have this power in our system. Justin Trudeau cannot change the law with the stroke of a pen and no debate in the House of Commons in the Senate. But that is what an executive order does. And yes, Donald Trump has used them and I don't agree with him using them. And I don't, didn't agree with Barack Obama using them. But Barack Obama brought this in by fiat. He acted as if he was a king and changed the law to suit his needs. And he changed it in a way that Congress had rejected under both parties. Both parties had looked at his proposals and found them wanting and said, no, sir, no, Mr. President. 
That's the only reason that DACA and this Dreamers program exists, is because presidents in the United States have the power of the executive order, and Barack Obama used and abused it. Donald Trump has said, we are going to withdraw, we are going to rescind this executive order, and we are going to give it back to the rightful place for this issue to be decided, and that is Congress, the House of Representatives, and the Senate. And they've got six months to come up with a solution. So for everyone that is confused when Donald Trump is going around saying the clip that I'm about to play you, saying I have great love for these folks, hopefully we can work something out, that's what he means. Well, I have a great heart for the folks we're talking about, a great love for them. And people think in terms of children, but they're really young adults. Uh, I have a love for these people, and hopefully now Congress will be able to help them and do it properly. And I can tell you, in speaking to members of Congress, they want to be able to do something and do it right. And really, we have no choice. We have to be able to do something. And I think it's going to work out very well. And long term, it's going to be the right solution. Doesn't that clip make an awful lot more sense now that you have some context around it? Now that you've gone beyond the talking heads screaming that Donald Trump is mean and hates immigrants? I'm seeing a headline on the TV next to me that he's uh, ending protections for young immigrants. Again, just before I finish up, let me recap the facts. These are not young immigrants. They're young people that came here as illegal immigrants. And yes, while I have compassion for them because they had no choice as a child, that still remains the case. Two, Donald Trump is not about to deport 800,000 people. He's not about to do it because he has rescinded the executive order and said to Congress, you figure this out. Three, Barack Obama brought this in with a speech. That is not legislation. That is not how the process is supposed to work in any country that says they want to uphold democracy. The leader doesn't give a speech, sign a piece of paper and say, bingo, this is how we're going to run things. Now, I hate that I seem to be the only person that can figure this out. But I wanted to bring you the facts tonight because you're going to be getting an awful lot of yelling and screaming. And what do I always say about Donald Trump's critics? They overplay their hand. And that's what they're doing here. They're making fun of the clip of Trump saying, hopefully we can work something out. And I have a great love for these people because they don't understand the context. But you do. I'm going to ask you to share this uh, uh, on Facebook. I've been doing a Facebook Live video. If you're just listening on the radio, if you're on Facebook, go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Brian Lilly. Share the video so that people know what's going on. You'll also find a video over on the CFRA Facebook page of me dropping by the pop-up injection site. Today is day 12 of the pop-up injection site that is a short walk from this studio that neither bylaw nor Ottawa police nor city council have done a thing about. Well, city council did something. The city went and put up a sign encouraging parents to enroll their children in rec center programs at the building next door to the heroin injection site. Just after 8 o'clock, we're going to speak to Ottawa Police Chief Charles Bordelow about why nothing's being done on this front. Coming up after 7.30, Justin Trudeau is failing Canada on NAFTA. We'll talk to Carlo, uh, Carlo Data from the um, Canada West Foundation about that. Sorry, Carlo Dade from the Canada West uh, Foundation about that. Uh, we'll speak to Pierre Polyev, conservative MP, about small businesses under attack. And at 8.30, today's the 20th anniversary of Mother Teresa's death. 
I'm going to speak to a nun who lives in Toronto, served and was brought into the the life of being a nun. She took her final vows from Mother Teresa. We'll talk to her about that coming up. All that and a lot more on the show. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. If you're listening or watching on Facebook Live, join us for the rest of the show, CFRA.com or the iHeartRadio app, always free, Apple or Android. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. Please. Brian Lilly's five things you need to know. Now, story number one that you need to know. I've already explained part of it. Dreamers, DACA, however you want to call it, and how well just about everybody else has it wrong. We are people of compassion and we are people of law. But there's nothing compassionate about the failure to enforce immigration laws. Enforcing the law saves lives, protects communities and taxpayers, and prevents human suffering. That is U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions talking about the uh, decision to rescind the Obama administration executive order on the Dreamers and tell Congress you've got six months to figure it out. It's your job anyway. Uh, Speaking of enforcing laws, story number two, you'll hear just after eight o'clock today, and you can find the video of me talking about it at Facebook Live on CFRA's Facebook page, right next to a community center in a public park next to a sign that the city is encouraging parents to enroll their children in rec center programs like swimming lessons and tap dance classes, sits the heroin injection site, the quote-unquote pop-up injection site, now on day 12. Coming up just after 8 o'clock, you will hear from Police Chief Charles Bordalo on that, and I will also read to you the uh, response that I got to questions from bylaw. And Anthony DeMonte down at City Hall. I asked the mayor. I asked bylaw. Wasn't really getting much of a response. And you'll be shocked at what little response I did get. Story number three that you need to know about gas prices. Do you know what they're paying in Buffalo right now? Two fifty a gallon. Two fifty a U.S. gallon. That works out to, in Canadian dollars, eighty-two cents a liter. Or put it another way, three oh nine Canadian for a gallon. In Ottawa, we're paying a dollar twenty-eight, dollar twenty-nine. On my Facebook page, you can see me ranting about this. Facebook.com slash Brian Lilly. You can see me ranting about it and breaking it down. Dollar twenty-nine point two at one local SO station. I'm not picking on SO, they're all the same. That works out to four eighty five a gallon Canadian. So we're paying, let's just use liters, okay? Because that's how we all buy it. But in Buffalo, they're paying 82 cents a liter. In Toronto, they're paying about a buck 20. Now, Toronto's closer to Buffalo. There's a, a lot of gas comes in from Buffalo. It's a pricing station for processed gasoline. They're paying 82 cents Canadian a liter. Toronto's paying just under a buck 20, about a buck 18, buck 19. We're paying a buck 29. Uh, Dan McTigg from GasBuddy.com says, we will see some relief in the next couple days, but not an awful lot. Thursday, in eastern Canada, you will see a $0.04 cent a litre decrease. So if you're paying a 
in Ottawa, $1.29, Toronto, $1.30, you will see prices fall. We're going to see prices fall, but not by a whole heck of a lot. It's a little depressing, isn't it? It's, in my view, it is a combination of high taxes and gouging by the companies. Obviously, we're always going to pay more than the Americans because we pay more in taxes. But there's also got to be some gouging going on. It was in the United States that the hurricane happened. I know it's a world price for oil. I know it's a world price for gasoline. And even if we were refining everything here, it just simply wouldn't change the fact that we'd pay more. But not that much more. Story number four that you need to know, Bill Morneau continues his class warfare against Canadians. The uh, silver spoon born as... Born in a, with a silver spoon in his mouth, finance minister Bill Morneau says small business owners in Canada have an unfair advantage that could create two classes of Canadians. Yeah, those that work for the federal government or big companies like Bill Morneau and the rest of us struggling to make a buck. Morneau was in Vancouver today. The rest of the Liberal caucus is in Kelowna for their retreat. He went to Vancouver to meet with small business owners who were furious about it. But he says... Small business owners in Canada pay the lowest income tax of all G7 countries, and that encourages businesses to create jobs. But he says the current system isn't sustainable. You know what's not sustainable? This government. We'll talk more about that later. 750, we'll talk to uh, conservative MP Pierre Polyev because he's been inundated. If you follow him on Twitter, he's been inundated with small business owners one guy even grabbing him, I think he was doing a, a local fun run on the weekend, and a, grab, a guy on the side pulled him out. Story number five that you need to know about, it's both fun and sports. The New York Yankees have accused the Red Sox of cheating and stealing call uh, play signals. And the Red Sox have said, yep, you got us red-handed. So this is how it's been working. Um, it was a plan that the Yankees caught... The Red Sox doing Yankees uh, GM Brian Cashman says they caught them stealing signs and relaying the signs using an Apple watch. The New York Times reported Cashman sent video of a Red Sox employee to commissioner's office, which corroborated corroborated. Sorry, the accusations. It's unclear what the punishment will be. But hey, don't worry. The Red Sox are now saying that the Yankees were stealing off of them as well using a different system. Is this going to be the uh, the Black Sox of 1919? We'll see. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Carlo Dade from the Canada West Foundation coming up next. Trudeau, Freeland, and the virtue signaling towards a new NAFTA deal. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Follow the outrage on Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. I don't know if Galway Girl is the right song for uh, right now, considering that we're talking about something that's happening in Mexico right now. That, of course, being the NAFTA negotiations. They're going through the second round in Mexico right now. The third round will start uh, later this month here in Ottawa. Uh, Foreign Affairs Minister, or sorry, Global Affairs Minister, Christia Freeland, um, speaking at the the wrap-up of this latest round of talks, says all three countries determined to get a good deal, 
And she says that includes a good deal for Canada. Canada's goal is and will remain to modernize NAFTA in a way that upholds Canadians' interests and values and benefits the middle class and those working hard to join it in all three of our countries. But I'm not quite sure what a good deal for Canada looks like for the Liberals. The Conservatives have accused the Liberals of virtue signaling. Talked about this a bit last night because when they go out there and, okay, what are your goals? Now, Donald Trump wants access to our milk markets. He wants access to this market, that market in Canada and Mexico. Canada's goals are a lot more not exactly trade-related. Yesterday they said they wanted to uh, force the United States to drop the right to work. States. So th- these are areas where you don't have to belong to the union to get the job or you don't have to pay the dues that go to the political aspects. There's different iterations of it. I'm not sure where this is going. So I want to bring in Carlo Dade. He's the director of trade and investment at the Canada West Foundation. He's also a fellow at the University of Ottawa. He joins me on the line from, uh, well, are you in Calgary? Yep, Cowtown. Out, out in Cowtown. Um, Carlo, thanks for the time today. My pleasure. Do you know what a good deal looks like for Canada? Because I'm looking at it maybe through the wrong lens. I'm looking at it as if I'm a business person trying to sell into the U.S. or Mexico, how will these renegotiations help or hurt me? And so far, I'm not seeing anything on the table, anything pushed by the Trudeau government that would help a business in this country sell to Canada or to the U.S. or Mexico. Well, it, it's easy to understand how that view comes out, but the reality is there were God, two dozen working groups uh, down in Mexico City working on 12 chapters, and what we get out of that, uh, sometimes the substance gets lost in the theater of these negotiations. Increasingly in the modern era, I hate to use phrases like increasingly in the modern era, but you know what I mean, Trade negotiations are as much about public theater, playing to your base, tossing red meat out to different groups, beating up the other side in public, than it is the actual substance. So what we're getting a lot of, uh, if that gets picked up by most of the media, is the theater. And that's by design. The trade negotiators toss it out. Governments toss it out. They're they're playing to the crowd. There were things of substance that were were put on the table. the Americans are hinting about auto content rules. Um, you know, agriculture is going to come up. The Americans have started hinting that they are going to go after supply management, though they haven't tabled text on that yet. So there's quite a bit of substance there, but there's also a heck of a lot of theater. So I guess all sides are engaged in theater to a degree then. I mean, we're mostly focused on Donald Trump and his tweets. Correct. But, but we, when you, the... you, don't, you don't see what your own... leaders do, your own government does. It's easier to pick up what the Mexicans are doing at the labor protests in the streets or the threats that, my God, you better hurry up and negotiate before AMLO, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, the Mexican Bernie Sanders comes in. So it's easier to pick up what other folks are doing and easy to ignore what uh, the Trudeau government's doing with gender, with a chapter on the environment that the Americans aren't going to take seriously, and everyone knows the Americans aren't going to take seriously. But the Americans do have some serious proposals on the table, and I guess that's what I'm wondering um, when it comes to Canada. I mean, they've said they want access to uh, or they want to at least have on the table supply management. That's not new. That happens pretty much every trade negotiation, and it may go somewhere. It may not. But they also want access to our banking sector, and we don't really have a leg to stand on when you look at all the banks that 
Canadian banks own overseas or in the U.S. BMO's big in the Chicago area. TD's big everywhere. Royal Bank has holdings down there. Um, Scotia, Mexico, yeah. Yeah, Scotia's in Mexico and the Caribbean. So what are we looking for that would give us better access? What do the Americans protect that we might be able to say, well, okay, if you want this, give us that? Because that, 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 that's essentially what I'm looking for, Carlo, is what are we going to push for other than stuff that is about gender and the environment? There's already a chapter on the environment in there and, and now saying adopt Canadian labor laws. Yeah, so the chapters that they're pushing for, if you look at the uh, just renegotiated Canada-Chile agreement, we managed to get a chapter on gender in there. And I tell you, I've seen more substance in the cloud of steam than I have in, the, in that gender chapter. It kind of makes you wonder what they were thinking. But then you read it and you realize, well, it's uh, the word that I take it the conservatives are using, virtue signaling. There's a chat, uh, the, one of the penultimate clauses in the page and a half of the gender chapter says, oh, and by the way, nothing in this chapter is actionable under the enforcement clauses of this agreement. Great. So, so why should you bother even writing it? We, we've got a, a chapter on gender, uh, gender in our agreement with Chile, but if they change governments and they brought in a law that said all women must be uh, paid half of what a man is, we couldn't go to them and say, well, this isn't fair and we're going well, to action on this. Well, what we could do is pull up the chapter that says non-application of dispute resolution, uh, Article 6. A party shall not avail itself of dispute resolution mechanism provided in chapter with respect to any matter arising in this chapter on gender. So it's meaningless. Um, the, the, the chapter on gender under the Chile Agreement says it's all nice, it's all fluff, but anything that we mention here, you can't bring action under the dispute resolution clause of the trade agreement. So, again, it, it, it's what the conservatives are, are taking their calling virtue signaling. So they're, they're not necessarily wrong, not that they didn't do this on their own. I mean, I, I've read so many different agreements, Carlo, that uh, international agreements, it's got a lot of flowery language that means nothing. And this one actually has a, a, Article 6 says, and by the way, this really does mean nothing. <laughs> not <laughs> applicable to dispute resolution, just in case you, you missed the flowery language signaling that this was all, all strum and drowned, all noise uh, without substance. We're going to put it in that not applicable to dispute resolution. So, but I don't think the Americans are going to agree even to something like that. Um, under NAFTA. So, Though with Ivanka Trump, um, you know, you never know. Um, maybe this will turn out to be a brilliant ploy by the Trudeau government to okay, get Ivanka but, Trump to go after her uh, father. Who, uh, yeah, I'm, we, I'm being generous. Speaking here. with Carlo Day, the Director of uh, Trade and Investment at the Canada West Foundation and a fellow at the University of Ottawa. Uh, but, but Carlo, you know, the Americans are very protectionist of their agriculture sector. We export and even with NAFTA have been um, at the mercy of the Americans at times? I mean, couldn't we push for better access on agriculture, which is agriculture and agri-food is such a huge part of our economy. Those of us living in cities seem to forget that an awful lot, but it's a huge part of our economy. Couldn't we be pushing for better access on that or other sectors rather than making this the public focus? It, it will be. And again, I would stress that this is theater and the substance I would point to a couple things that the government's done that uh, I would you know, give them real credit for. One, 
on the labor mobility. So NAFTA's 23-some years old. The ability of Canadians to get into the States for trade and services. Take the oil sector. It's not just oil we worry about flowing across uh, the border into the States and into Mexico. It's workers from the oil patch, the rig guys, the MAC guys, being able to go down and work on contracts seamlessly in the U.S. So the whole trade and services where we actually have a deficit with the U.S. could really be helped by enhancing the ability of Canadians, lawyers, engineers, uh, all the professions to go down journalists? and take part journalists? in journalists. <laughs> We're currently I blocked. I, I don't think journalists would actually want to go to some place where you consider public enemy number one. To work. <laughs> well, I, but, I, I just remember having a guy uh, in the states try to hire me years ago, and eventually he gave up because of the. Um, it was a small independent station, but they invested heavily in news and wanted me there. Uh, and uh, he gave up because he said it's going to cost me way too much to get you a green card. And also, you know, to just work on short-term contracts. If you're selling equipment, we've got ag equipment manufacturers here in Western Canada that are selling equipment down in the States. It would be nice to be able to also sell service so to be able to get technicians to go across the border for a few days or a week to service to remove the constraints. We can make a lot of money on services. So I applaud the government on that. The other area they're really pushing is regulatory Uh, cooperation and convergence with the U.S. Our real advantage with the U.S. in being able to sell over the Japanese, over the Europeans, is that regulatory harmonization. Our widgets meet the same standards. If we're making jelly beans, there's an understanding that we have the same standards. We don't have to go through all the hoops that other countries do in certifying that our goods are compliant. So harmonizing regulation is a key advantage for us over other countries that also have free trade agreements. So this government is pushing to try and institutionalize regulatory cooperation, turn it from something that the governments do because they've agreed to, to something that they have to do because it's part of NAFTA, something that we can count on and not rely on the idiosyncratic whim of a future government to actually allow the regulatory harmonization committees to meet. So that's a huge advantage for us. We could move on to things like you know, having American companies accept the Canadian certification for food and drugs so our companies don't have to also get things certified by the U.S. FDA. Um, uh, a lot of Canadians would be here. upset at the idea that we would give up our own regulatory approval, though. Yeah, but we would have both, and the standards we work together on the standards. Yeah, I, I'm not um, against. So there'd be some input. I'm not against these standards, and I've I've watched it work before with, uh, you know, in, environmental standards on on automobiles and different things. It just makes sense if we're this integrated that we walk lockstep. It's just interesting uh, hear, hearing you say the whims of a future president, and everyone th- assumes that Donald Trump is bad for Canada on NAFTA. If you've covered this like I have, and as, as you have, Barack Obama tried protectionist measures. Oh, All God, of them he, have. Oh, God, no. This, a lot of this started with Barack Obama. People forget that you know, during the summer of his first run for presidency, he was the most outspoken in terms of wanting to renegotiate NAFTA. Hillary Clinton uh, was, you know, there are some good things, some bad things. We need to take a look, but on balance, NAFTA's been good. John McCain 
we need to double down on NAFTA. And then there was Barack Obama. Oh, yeah, you know, forget it. We're going to renegotiate <laughs> it. So, yeah, people forget that, um, you know, this has been brewing for some time. Uh, but Trump is just a lot more unpredictable. What it's he's done absolutely the, true. Yeah, the U.S.-Korea agreement should have us – his move to withdraw from the U.S.-Korea agreement is actually really interesting for us. Um, if he gets away with it, well, it will be good with, for Canadian pork producers. We lost our shirts uh, when the U.S. beat us to signing an agreement with Korea. But what I think is going to happen is Congress is going to step up and reassert its role – that only it can end trade agreements. Trade is a const- under the U.S. Constitution, Article One, Section Eight, is a congressional responsibility, not a shared responsibility, not in consultation with the president. It's Congress. So there's a real constitutional question as to whether or not Congress can cede the power to the president to unilaterally end trade agreements. Congress has done this, but is it constitutional? We're about to find out with okay. Korea. And if it turns out that he can't do it, well, then his threat to pull out of NAFTA Null and void. all the air left out right. of it. Carlo, thanks for the time. Hey, my pleasure. Carlo Day, the Director of Trade and Investment at the Canada West Foundation. Uh, coming up next, Conservative MP Pierre Polyev will join us to talk about the, well, the nattering in his ear he's getting from local small businesses over these small business tax changes. That's coming up. And don't forget... 835, your chance to qualify for the Sens Seasons tickets. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Conservatives opposed our lowering of taxes on the middle class and raising them on the wealthiest 1%. They opposed us stopping to sending uh, child benefit checks to millionaires. And now they're opposed to us bringing in more tax fairness that's going to uh, help the middle class and those working hard to join it at the cost of uh, some of our most successful Canadians. I will make no apologies for this approach it's what Canadians expect of us when we say we're going to grow the middle class and help those working hard to join it. I'm not exactly sure that's what Canadians expected of you when you promised to lower the small business tax, then didn't, then doubled EI premiums, then increased uh, – or sorry, doubled CPP premiums, then doubled EI premiums, and your partner in crime at Queen's Park is boosting the minimum wage by just shy of a third – Pierre Polyev joins us on the line now, local conservative MP. He represents the riding of Carleton. And Pierre, I've been following your Twitter account over the past couple of days, and, and you've been telling stories. You are getting an earful across your riding. I am. I had a gentleman in Riverside South tell me he owns a small chain of dry cleaners that employs 50 mostly new Canadians and young people. Uh, some of whom he might have to lay off because of these uh, new tax increases on small businesses. Uh, I was uh, jogging in a a charitable run on River Road just north of Manitick uh, the other day, and uh, a young man literally pulled his car over to the side of the road, waited for me to reach him, and pulled me out of the run. 
telling me that he'd left the country for 11 years to study in order to open a dentistry practice here in Canada, something he now doesn't believe he will be able to do because of these new tax increases. Wow. You're, you're just talking about wealthy people that own chains of dry cleaners and dentists. I mean, th- this is the 1%. Don't they deserve it, Pierre? Well, this young man doesn't yet have a lot of money. He would have potentially built a lot of wealth and contribute to the economy and hire a lot of people, but not if this tax increase goes ahead. Uh, so, uh, and, and then I met with a group of, of uh, local farmers uh, out in the Rideau Township, the old Rideau Township, uh, just a few days ago. And of the 10 farmers around the table, eight of them said that they will face higher, a much higher tax burden as a result of this uh, new a tax increase by the Trudeau government. Bill Morneau says this is about making sure we don't have two classes of Canadians. Um, I would say that we already do. When you look at it, I was writing about this on my website earlier today, brianlilly.com. They're attacking small businesses, and I talked to the CFIB. They say oh, the average small business person makes around 60 grand a year. Canadian uh, Chamber of Commerce says two-thirds make under $73,000 a year, many much less than that. And there you've got Bill Morneau. His daddy handed him a company. Justin Trudeau, they haven't, the Trudeaus haven't had to work since his grandfather, Charles Emile, built the family wealth. And, and you've got these two guys telling small businesses how they're going to run their things. And meanwhile, they're paying Justin's buddy, Rana Sarkar, a one percenter wage and saying, well, he's worth it. So they're attacking people making 60 grand and giving huge, you know, benefits to their friends. Well, and they're also giving, they've also given $400 million to Bombardier, which then gave it six six top executives a 50% pay hike, uh, totaling $6 million at the same time as laying off 14,000 workers. Uh, They are creating this new infrastructure bank, which will guarantee the profits of wealthy international billionaire investors who uh, contribute to, uh, who invest in big infrastructure projects. Uh, And uh, the the list of benefits for wealthy insiders goes on and on and on. But I want to touch on Bill Morneau's suggestion of two classes of taxpayers, because that's exactly what he is creating right now. Small businesses that save within their company pay about 50% on the income they earn on those savings um, over the lifetime. That's roughly what a high-income earning person would pay if they saved outside of a private company in an unregistered vehicle. Now, um, what Bill Morneau is proposing is to increase the tax on uh, savings held within a corporation to 73%. He wants to do that by taxing twice the same income. Explain to me how this would work. I save money inside my own corporation and the government says you should be spending that. We're going to take 73% of it? That's right. Right now, the system is set up so that no matter how you get your income, whether it's through dividends or wages, you pay the same rate of taxation. So if you ever take a dividend, you deduct the taxes that the company who paid the dividend has already paid. That's in order to avoid double taxation. 
and to make sure everybody pays the same rate regardless of whether they get their money from a dividend or from a salary. Bill Morneau wants to do away with that principle and double tax the same income. And that's what has caused businesses, small businesses, family farmers, to become so irate. Their tax rate will be higher than anyone else in the country, including the most wealthy people. Like Bill Morneau. Like Bill Morneau. I thought that they were going to walk away from this. And if you heard me on the radio last Friday, Pierre, I said so until Justin Trudeau came out with those comments that I played off the beginning, because it sounded like liberal MPs are getting the same earful as you are. Um, They're hearing from liberals that own small business. Uh, Susan Smith, regular liberal pundit who is always defends the liberals no matter what they do, said this is a bad idea. She doesn't like it. Warren Kinsella has said this is a bad idea. He doesn't like it. In the minute we have left, do you think that they're going to – they're saying they might tweak it. Do you think that they're going to tweak it in a significant way or just try and say make minor changes so that they can say, see, we listened, and then still slam small business? I think they're going to try to pluck as many feathers from the goose as possible uh, while minimizing the hissing, which is supposedly the – the art form of taxation, they are trying to take as much money as they can and while minimizing the political damage to themselves. So the problem is that the the aspects of this proposal that produce the most government revenue are the most damaging to small businesses. So they're in a real conflict here. They desperately need the money to keep the spending going the way Trudeau has started the first two years in office. But doing so is provoking a backlash from millions of Canadians, including those who voted Liberal. All right, Pierre, thanks for the time. As Winston Churchill said, a nation trying to tax its way to prosperity is like a man standing in a bucket and trying to lift himself up by the handle. It doesn't make sense. Thanks for the time. Good to be with you. Pierre Polyev, a conservative MP for Carleton. Don't go away, because when we come back, Chief Bordelow. Chief Charles Bordelow will join us about the pop-up injection site. Why is it still there 12 days after it went up, despite the fragrant law violations? This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Get some FaceTime with Brian. Join the resistance at Facebook.com slash 580CFRA. Today is day 12 of the pop-up injection site, the illegal site that sits in a park next to a recreation center where the city has just put up a sign encouraging parents to enroll their children in rec programs like dance class or swimming lessons. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to be taking my kids to dance class or swimming lessons in a building next to a heroin injection site because that's what it is. They can call it a pop-up injection site all they want. It is a heroin injection site. And it's illegal because it doesn't have the federal exemption from the law. So why has nothing been done? Well, I put this to bylaw and the mayor's office earlier today. Anthony DeMonte, general manager of emergency and protective services, sent a quote saying, bylaw officers have the discretion to enforce in a variety of ways, including the ability to provide a verbal notice to help better inform anyone who may be in contravention of a city bylaw with the goal of compliance. 
bylaw and regulatory services provided by uh, provided a verbal notification to organizers of the pop-up site as to the regulations under the city's bylaws. Okay, but nothing's been done. No one's moved. They're there tonight. What's being consumed here? Well, what's called a Schedule 1 substance or narcotic. And I just want to read to you from the Controlled uh, Drug and Substances Act of Canada, which says, Every person who contravenes Section 1 where the subject matter of the offense is the substance included in Schedule 1 is guilty of indictable offense and liable to imprisonment for a term not exceeding seven years. So why aren't police acting on this? This is something that I put to Ottawa Police Chief Charles Bordalo last week. We couldn't connect on the radio then. We exchanged on Twitter, but he's joining me now. So Police Chief Bordalo, why isn't anything being done about this pop-up injection site where you know heroin's being consumed? Well, good evening, Brian. I think... uh First and foremost, we've all been watching what's taking place in other communities with respect to the opioids issue. And uh, we're seeing too many deaths right here in Ottawa, Mm -hmm. too many many near deaths right in our community. And uh, we have an opportunity to mitigate the tragedy tragedy that's uh, taking place in Vancouver. And uh, How's that? Well, this is a health care crisis, and we've learned uh, some lessons for what Vancouver has done. And... uh, Quite frankly, it's gotten out of hand, and I don't know how they're going to recover, but in Ottawa, we've got an opportunity to try to mitigate that. And police can play uh, an important role, and, uh, but it's a very complex situation. It's a complex issue. Now, the medical experts tell us that harm reduction works. Uh, but okay, it's only, but there, but it, there is but, a harm reduction site that has a federal exemption right. from the law that's right. that is not set up yet. This organization does not have an exemption, nor do they have the trained professional staff to deal with this. Absolutely, Brian, but but just let me finish now. So we know that harm reduction works, but it's only one of the components of of an overall uh, drug strategy. And that's why we've equipped our officers with naloxone, because we're seeing it firsthand as far as what's taking place in our street. Now, as you mentioned, Sandy Hill uh, has applied and got their license, they got their exemption from Health Canada. And our concern has always been around public safety and the public and the potential impact on crime and disorder issues, potential trafficking, and increased crimes in the area of, of the supervised consumption site. Now, as you pointed out recently, uh, this group opened up a pop-up site in the Rafael Brunet Park. We all agree that a public park is not, go- not a good location for this type of activity. In fact, it's a terrible location, and it's a city-owned park. And I know that this, this was there's the city... Um, that's not what parks are designed for. That's not they were, what they were built for. Now, we also know that there's some active discussions taking place right now to try and relocate the site. To They've been going to, on for more than a week and nothing's absolutely, happened. Absolutely. Well, there are some discussion, there's some movement to try to move it to a more appropriate location. But excuse me for a minute. We, we encourage those discussions. But, but, and, and but we, Chief Bordola, with all due respect... Whether it's moved to a new location or not, it is still illegal and in violation Absolutely. of a federal law, a very I, serious federal law. I agree with you, Brian. So let so, me put to you the, the question that I put to you on Twitter last week, and I ask this in all seriousness. Can you give me a list of laws that I can violate inside the city of Ottawa that you and your officers will not charge me for? Well, I think that's a very uh, simple question to a complex uh, issue. No, it's not. It we is, either have Brian, rule of law or we don't. No, no. Well, we have discretion, and I think this is a case where we need to use that discretion. Our, our, as a police service, our primary role is for public safety and enforcement. Now, first and foremost, the volunteer health care providers 
that have opened up a site have done so without a license. So that's a public health issue, and it's a Health Canada issue. And police have no jurisdiction over that fact that they are operating without a license. I'm sure that the oversight bodies uh, where these volunteers are employed with probably have an active interest or should have an active interest in the activities of these, of these individuals. Now, the, the park is city-owned, so we are supporting the city in their decision-making process with respect to determining if they are going to prohibit this type of, uh, type of activity and start the process of enforcing bylaws. As you've said, uh, we supported the city bylaw in attending and providing them a verbal warning. Now, the city has the ultimate decision as to whether they will, they will allow that site to continue operating and enforce the bylaws. Once they make that decision, the police service will be but supporting uh, city bylaw. And that's, you can decide. That's their decision. I, the mayor says that they can't direct you on how to enforce the law. So you decide whether to charge someone with trafficking in heroin, no, possession of heroin? So, absolutely. So on the bylaw issue, so that's, you, that's you're, the city decision. Her, now, heroin possession and consumption in Ottawa is now de facto legal. No, Brian, now, now let's use some common sense. No, now, I, the, I am the, using the common sense because so you're, the you're not applying the, the law. The individuals using this site, okay, they're addicts, they're vulnerable, and we don't want to be seen as criminalizing them. The court, okay, is, not a, the court is not a place for these individuals uh, to be, the court process wasn't intended for these. these okay, people but, need but help, let me give you a real-life solution. So, so if I look at, if, you, if I use your analogy... If I if I go in and now start arresting and charging these individuals, first of all, I have to have my officers have to have reasonable and proper proper grounds. Just the fact that they they may be visiting a site doesn't necessarily mean that they have drugs. Our officers, you know, there's a charter of rights, and our officers. Well, have it's to, it's a public park. To, with, it's a public park with a tent put up in it. There's there's no right to privacy in that tent. Your officers could walk right in. It's it's I a public I, park. I can't go and search individuals without without just without. If you walked into approach. that tent, you would find people with tourniquets around their arms shooting heroin. Now, if I if I was pulled over, going home to Canada tonight, you I don't, don't live in Canada, but, but if I was pulled over, use, no. I think I think it's to use an example of it, one individual being caught with 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 drugs, like the situation you're about to explain. It's not fair to compare to the complex issue that we're currently facing. And I'll use well, another. I, I I'll could use be an addict living I'll, in the suburbs. Use, no, Chief, I, I, I let you speak. We're having a conversation. Absolutely. So let let me finish the question. Sure. I could be driving out to the suburbs tonight. I could still be an addict. You catch me with heroin. Do I get to say, well, it's a complex situation? Don't charge me. I think if you're looking at. Uh, the situation that we're faced with right now with the opioids crisis and what these individuals are trying to do and providing uh, support and help to these addicts and these vulnerable people, uh, I think we need to take that factor that into consideration when using our discretion. It, it's, I'll use the example of, of sex trade workers. We no longer go out and arrest and charge sex trade workers. We, t- we focus on the Johns that are targeting the, the most vulnerable, and we try to provide support and help these uh, sex trade workers, the homeless people who are begging on the streets, who are, who are, uh, most of them have potential ad- addictions, mental health issues. Mm-hmm. We don't focus and target and, 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 and uh, put them through the court system unless, unless it's a last resort. And we will always have the ability to enforce the laws and use our discretion. But that's, that's an option for us to use at the most appropriate time. 
Okay. In our, in our professional opinion, at this point in time, us going in there and starting to arrest and charge drug addicts who are going to seek help or trying to, to deal with their addictions is not the, the most appropriate course of action. I think there are no programs at that tent to deal with addictions. Well, uh, I, and I and I agree with you, and I think that's why we encourage uh, you know Sandy Hill to open up their doors. We encourage public health to continue having discussions with the Sandy with the Hill. Here's community. my problem, though. Sandy Hill has the federal exemption. Yeah, these guys do not. They are flouting the law. They're thumbing their nose at the law, and you and City Council. And by law, and Anthony DeMonte are failing the city of Ottawa because you're saying if you have your heart in the right place, the law doesn't apply to you. So, who, when you was, when you say Brian that they they are flouting the law, who are you talking about? I'm the, talking the, about the, the guys at the pop up and injection site. Okay, yeah. So, so from from a, from a criminal law perspective, they've opened up something that's illegal that they need a license for Health Canada. So, I would encourage Health Canada and public health. To deal with that, police have no jurisdiction over them uh, opening up a site without a federal license. That is not a policing what? issue. Okay, uh, and, 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 but, and but you've I explained would, that already. And what we've said, we've, we've said to the city is that we encourage you to, to to write to the the oversight body, whether it's you know their nurses or the College of Physicians and Nurses or whatever body oversees these professionals, because there are professionals in in their uh, in their day jobs. They should have an active interest in 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 monitoring and oversight uh, of. Those I doubt that's going to happen. The provincial health minister gave these guys a meeting today so to sit I and cannot, talk to them. Police cannot go in there and arrest and charge the operators of of that mm. site. People that live near there are fearful. They're upset. If this was going on in the park around the corner from your house. Would you be calling your city councillor? Would you be calling for the police? Would you be calling for bylaw to act and do something? I, I, I said a public park is not an appropriate location. We've had, and mind you, we've had a handful of complaints, and I've had hundreds of emails supporting this, uh, this, this activity, this pop-up site. I agree it, a public park is not appropriate at all. It's, ter- it's a terrible location, uh, and they've done no consultation whatsoever and you look at Sandy Hill, who's gone through uh, uh, the, the hoops and, mm-hmm. and around getting a license and getting their exemption, and, and they've done that. So Sandy Hill, I know, has been working very closely with public health and these, these organizers to try and move it to a more appropriate location. If the, if the city uh, decides to say that this is in contravention of their bylaw, it's, it's against public use, we will go in there and we will support the city in, in executing and enforcing their, their bylaws. Chief Bortolo, um, you know that I like you and your organization, respect the work that you do, but it, it is just disheartening to, to hear that everyone just says their hands are tied um, when we've got Health Canada violations, Controlled Substance Act violations, bylaw violations, and everyone just says, well, it's up to somebody else. Well, I don't think we're saying it's up to somebody else. I think it's, it's all, we all have a responsibility uh, to try and deal with this. Yeah. So, it's, not, it's not a black and white issue. It's, it's a very no, gray, it, it's it's a very an issue of, area. It's an issue of the law doesn't apply if your heart is in the right place well, with the right progressive cause. The, 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 actually, I think we're, we're exhibiting uh, the, the behaviors of modern-day police service that understands the complex issues of a community that's dealing with a crisis on the health care side, and we're trying to we're trying to play the role uh, of of that progressive police service to try and deal with issues. You're not seeing 
Vancouver. You're not seeing Toronto going in and shutting down or because they don't have authority, but to go in and start arresting people. I think it would be irresponsible as a police service to go in there and start arresting and charging these drug addicts who, are, who, who may be in possession of some of some illegal substances. Uh, are, are you going after the, the dealers in the area? System. Absolutely. We have a presence in the area, and we are that's who we, that's who we always target in these traffickers and the drug dealers that are that are uh, preying on on vulnerable people. And that's what we do in the downtown core. That's what we do in other problem areas, and that's what we're focusing on in the in the Raphael Brunet Park area. So we're not doing. I disagree that uh, your with your statement. We are doing things. Uh, I know it's frustrating from the outside looking in that there doesn't seem to be any progression. But you can't just snap your fingers and expect. Uh, this type of issue to be to be resolved uh, in a in a very short matter of time. A final question to you: You and I talked about a year or so ago now about the um, the looming opening of the legal safe injection site. Yeah, and the ability of police to make sure crime doesn't go up. I know everyone always says crime didn't go up in Vancouver. Well, it did at the beginning. Then they added ninety new police officers. Will you have the resources to be able to make sure that around the site in Sandy Hill that crime doesn't go up? What we've asked Sandy Hill is that they own they own uh, part of this responsibility. As the owner of this site, they should have uh, security and visible presence uh, at the site and in the neighborhood areas. And that's the, that's the challenge we threw back to Sandy Hill, that their plan wasn't adequate in addressing uh, concerns from a safety perspective in the community. Will you be able to add more officers to the area? Uh, we'll be responding to uh, to, area, to calls for service. Uh, our officers will have uh, a proactive presence, uh, but we I don't have the resources to start dedicating uh, officers to be patrolling that site. That's, that's a responsibility that, that belongs to Sandy Hill, and we suggested that they have either security or they have community ambassadors for the purpose of, of walking around the neighborhood and dealing with potential uh, uh, addicts that are that are walking around or, or potential traffickers and calling us. So we've asked them to bolster their security plan to deal with that issue. All right, Chief Bortolo, thanks so much for the time. You're quite welcome, Brian. Good night. Ottawa Police Chief um, Charles Bortolo. It's good sport because I wasn't easy on him, um, but I, these are tough questions and somebody has to face them. When we come back, it won't have much time. But I will talk to you about gas prices. Some small relief on the way. Brian Lilly, Beyond the News, News Talk 580 CFRA. In a world gone mad, there must be resistance. You're listening to Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. In eastern Canada, you will see a four cent a liter decrease. So, if you're paying uh, in Ottawa dollar twenty nine, Toronto dollar thirty, you will see prices fall. Four cents a liter drop come Thursday. That's from Dan McTague at GasBuddy.com. I was going to go in depth on gas prices. We'll do that later in the show. Uh, but I had to. I had to talk to Chief Bordalo about that. I'm just so frustrated with this. I'd, I'd love to hear from you beyond the news at CFRA.com. And of course, when. The phone line's open at the top of the hour. Uh, Coming up next, you're going to want to stick around for this. Days after Princess Diana died, another well-known, one of the other best-known women in the world at the time died, Mother Teresa. It's the 20th anniversary of her death, and we're going to be joined next by a nun who was 
uh, took her final vows from Mother Teresa and worked with her in Calcutta. She's in Toronto now. She'll join us next. Insurgent, believe it. The resistance is here. Beyond the news with Brian Lilly, News Talk 580 CFRA. She was born in Macedonia on the 26th of August, 1910, and became world famous in a rather unusual way. Agnes, I can't even actually say her last name. I might ask her next guest this. Um, Agnes was her birth name, but she became known as Mother Teresa or St. Teresa of Calcutta. This young woman born in Macedonia in 1910 decided to enter the convent and then went to one of the poorest parts of the world in Calcutta, intended to the people of Calcutta, uh, in an area where the caste system still exists, and gave them health care, gave them love, gave them nurture. She died 20 years ago today, just days after Princess Diana, and there was a lot of hoopla about the 20th anniversary of the death of Princess Diana. I would argue that at the time, in 1997, they must, they may have been the two most famous women in the world, because while Mother Teresa was a Roman Catholic nun, her work inspired people around the world and transcended those within the Catholic Church. Sister Bernice joins me on the line from Toronto. And Sister Bernice, you have a direct connection to Mother Teresa. You worked alongside her. Tell me how that came about. Well, first of all, I first met Mother Teresa in 1982 when I entered as an aspirant. And that was the first contact that I had with her. So 1982, an aspirant, you joined, and so that means you wanted to look at becoming a nun, see if it was for you? Well, I already agreed to go, and this is the beginning of the training. Our training is 10 years. Wow. And this was the first initial step. And my mistress had told me to go and speak with Mother that she was coming. I did my aspirancy in the Bronx, New York. And Mother came that day, and I was told this was the first time I'm meeting her and asked her to give me a name. And so I approached her, and I asked her for her blessing. And then I told her I didn't have a religious name, and she asked me, "Uh, what is your mother's name? And I said, Bernice. And she bowed her head for a moment to pray, and then she blessed me, and she said, your name will be Sister Berenice. And that's been the name you've gone by since then? Yes, that is the name that I have been going by since then. Uh, You are part of the Missionaries of Charity. Yes, I am a that, part of the Missionaries of Charity, that is the reli- by Mother Teresa. She founded this religious order in 1950. Uh, yes. And it's it's around the world. That you're in Canada now. There's yes. you know, um, 
congregations around the world. Uh, what is it that drew Mother Teresa, do you think, to go to Calcutta to say, you know, not that she was from a, a wealthy part of the world, she was not, uh, but to, to go and say, I'm going to help these people. Calcutta, it's not a, a big Catholic city. What no. drew her there? No, what happened was Mother grew up as a very religious girl. What happened, she grew up at a time in her country when there was, uh, they were black refugees fleeing. She was uh, actually uh, in Skopje, and then they, uh, they were um, brought to this place, and Mother grew up in this parish, and then she was in the Sodality, and she was in a lot of the missions. And at that time, the Jesuits had just started um, doing work in Calcutta. And when they started doing work in Calcutta, they used to send their Jesuit magazine, their missionary magazines, back to her parish. And then she began to read those, and a desire came into her to become a missionary. And she and another girl from her parish named Magdalene uh, told uh, her parish priest, and they sent her to Zagreb, I think it was, to, to get spiritual direction. And she and the girl were both sent to the Loretta sisters to do medical work in Ireland. And there in Ireland, they sent her to a mission in uh, Calcutta. Okay. So she was a Loretta sister first. And then while she was a Loretta sister in Calcutta, uh, as we have to go on retreats once a year, every Roman Catholic sister has to leave her convent and go on a retreat every year. And her turn came in 1946 from this Loretta convent. And when she was on the train, she had an experience. And she called that to us Inspiration Day. And she said that experience was so overwhelming of her love for God. It was such a, a desire to love him, and she felt so close to him and that he was just an overwhelming force that came into her soul. And it stayed with her. And then she went after the retreat, she returned to her convent, but it kept coming to her. Mm -hmm. And then she was a good, very good school teacher, and the children loved her, and all the teachers and her order loved her. And she inspired some of her students to go out and give food to the poor, but outside their walls. But it was not enough for her, and so she finally asked permission from her order to, to go out, but they did not want her to leave. And finally, with her spiritual director and all, she received the permission to leave and go out to pick the poor up in the streets of Calcutta. That's how it all started. She was so not, in the beginning, she was teaching the children of Calcutta. Yeah, she was teaching uh, high-class Brahmin children. Mm -hmm. And then she was a geography teacher, and then she became the principal of the Bengali section. So, I mean, it's difficult for us to understand because we don't have a, a class system quite like this. But in the caste system, there is 
there are people that are literally untouchable. And so if they become sick, no one's supposed to help them. Yes, this is true. Nobody is to. And so mother saw these people just lying with no food when she looked out the window, when she she saw this. And she often said, if if I am the spirit, if I'm a real nun, if I'm really to serve and help people for God, I should be helping these people and picking them up. And and she says how she received this, and that's why in every, if you were to enter a chapel of the Missionaries of Charity, you will see a crucifix, and to the left of the crucifix, the words, I thirst. And Mother says that this was, this thirst that God had when he suffered on the cross was for each one of us, because he said, she said that the love that God has is the longing that every single person has in the world. Everyone wants to be loved. And so God is saying first, I love you. I love you in whatever situation you're in, in your misery, in your sinfulness, whatever you are, I love you. And in turn, Mother experienced this so deeply that she said that she could see Jesus in the most miserable people, and that's why she wanted to go out. E- and that's why she had the strength to do it, because she didn't see a person lying with worms or half eaten off by a rat. She saw Jesus. It was so overwhelming for her that she couldn't see a person in that situation without being helped. So she received the permission, and she went out. First, she was able to stay in the room with a, 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 I think somebody loaned her a room. A, a group of nuns gave her a room, and she started going out one by one, picking up people and then getting them to the hospital. And a couple of girls started helping her. And then finally, the, some of her own class students followed her. <laughs> the first ten of our sisters followed her. And a man uh, gave, Mr. Gomez gave her the attic of his home for her to start her order. The, um, the fact that she moved well beyond Calcutta in terms of fame, the order is spread around the world, but people started giving money from around the world to support her work, support the work of the uh, Sisters of the Missionaries of Charity. Uh what does that say? Because you've got people that love and admire Mother Teresa, people that donate money to your organization that maybe have never stepped foot inside a Catholic church or have nothing to do with the church. It's rare for a nun to have that kind of impact on the world on such a global scale. I know I know that nuns have been responsible in, in this city on blocks from the first school, the first hospital set up by uh, – uh, by nuns, but on such a global scale, this was tremendous. The reason being is that Mother taught us, she said, Sisters, I want you to live like the poor so that they can come to you. And we have a rule. we The donations that w- we receive, we don't use them for ourselves so we can live like the poor so that the money that we receive, we can give to them directly. So you take and a vow of poverty and... Take a, we take four vows. We go beyond. We take a vow of poverty, chastity, and obedience, and also 
a fourth vow, wholehearted and free service to the poorest of the poor, materially and spiritually, being that we cannot receive any money for any work we have we, that we do, and we cannot take any uh, money that is being advertised. People have to give freely from their own heart. They cannot go and raise funds in our name or tell people about us in that way. It has to be what we call, Mother said, divine providence. And one day, Mother says, if we keep to divine providence, God will take care of us. And one day, uh, they didn't have any bread for the children at all to feed. And Mother just prayed, and before time, the truck pulled up with a load of bread. <laughs> and it just recently happened to us. We, last year, You're... at our parish of Holy Family, we had a reception on honor of Mother Teresa's uh, canonization. And we invite so many people came, and we, we were wondering. We knew we didn't have enough food. The evening before, a truck pulls up. <laughs> More than enough food for the people. You uh, you now look after the poor in Toronto? Yes. Our mission here is mother came here over 30-some years ago, and a priest took her around Parkdale and told her the loneliest people in Parkdale are the mentally ill people. Absolutely. And they are living in what we call boarding homes. And we minister to about 25 of those boarding homes. We go and visit them. And then we have a clinic, a supernatural clinic for them to come to once a week. And uh, that's what who we minister to here. But we also visit the shut-ins, the lonely people. We visit also families, the refugees. We've helped so many refugees get settled and helped them out. We had Two summer camps. We had one month in June, a summer camp for the mentally ill people that we serve, and a summer camp for our children. Uh, thank you for the time tonight and um, speaking to me about Mother Teresa and her work and impact and your work and impact. Thanks so much, Sister Benice. God You're bless you welcome. and all you do. And we will pray for you and the world. Thank you. Good night. Sister Bernice joining us from Toronto to talk about uh, Mother Teresa. 20 years since she died and the work that she started in 1950 in Calcutta continuing on around the world. Truly amazing. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in a few moments. hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. So how are you dealing with the gas price jump? The last time I filled up, and I haven't had to fill up since Harvey happened... I think it was just before the, the, the price spike. I paid mid-90s. Now it's $1.29. That's a 30% jump. Normally when people are complaining about gas prices jumping, you know, I'll say, well, what to go buy? I want to buy three cents. 
Okay, on a 60-liter tank, we're talking a buck 80. It's, it's annoying, and it eats away, but it's not huge. This is huge. As I was saying earlier on, the gas price in Buffalo, New York, a bridge away from Canada, works out to 82 cents a liter. They're paying 250 U.S. a gallon. Convert it to Canadian, that's 309. Divide it by 3.76, which is what, um, there's 3.76 liters in a U.S. gallon. It's 82 cents a liter. We're paying a buck 29 in Ottawa. They're paying about a buck 18 in Toronto. So they're 36 cents above Buffalo. And they all get their gas from the same area in that region. 36 cents above. And we are 47 cents above. Part of that's taxes. Part of that is gouging. Dan McTague was uh, on the Evan Solomon Show uh, earlier today and was asked why prices are this much higher in Canada. Yeah, we don't supply enough, especially in eastern Canada, to meet our own needs. In many respects, we are uh, we are uh, price takers and we are supply takers. We uh, might have a lot of crude, but the same cannot be said for gasoline. We've shut down a lot of refineries. We've concentrated the players involved in supplying gasoline. And, of course, uh, there really is no oversight to the supply and demand uh, or the actions of most uh, oil companies in Canada. Um, they can do what they want as they please uh, without uh, any type of uh, uh, what passed for oversight in the United States weekly with something like an oil and gasoline inventory report. So, you know, I fought that battle for years. I, I you know, I'm at the point now where I just have to say, look, I warned this would happen. You would routinely pay higher uh, for uh, gas prices, uh, among other things, simply because there is no market discipline in place that allows for competitors to come in and say, look, uh, we're, right. we, we can bring those prices down. And lots of people say, well, refine our gas in Canada, then prices will be lower. Nobody's going to allow more refineries to open up, which is what we need, because even if we shipped our oil from the west to the east, because right now the refineries in Quebec, they deal with imported oil, not Canadian oil. But even if it were Canadian oil, that wouldn't lower the price because we still don't have enough refining capacity. Dan's good news, a small drop come Thursday. Thursday. In eastern Canada, you will see a $0.04 cent a litre decrease. So if you're paying uh, in Ottawa $1.29, Toronto $1.30, you will see prices fall. Uh, we're already seeing some lower prices. Um, s- south End earlier today, West End earlier today is a buck twenty nine. Uh, but some places are reporting as low as a dollar nineteen. That's out in Winchester, dollar twenty one nine at Costco. And Larry's calling in. Uh, Larry, you say you've uh, you've seen some pretty low gas prices out there. Well, I've seen something ridiculous, quite honestly, this weekend. I went by the same gas station, <clears throat> like I go by the same gas station almost every day. Mm-hmm. And because of this Harvey situation and, and the fact that gas prices has always been a bugaboo with me, uh, quite honestly, it's a government looking at, at, at a monopoly going on and we're doing nothing about it. But I went by the gas station in the afternoon and it was a dollar twenty-seven. I went by the same gas station at 2 o'clock in the morning, it was a dollar three. In the same, so it went down. It went down to a dollar three. And is I it, asked the I asked the attendant, "What's the deal with the gas?" I said, "It's the same gas in the ground that was here this afternoon. It went up." He says, "I don't know." He says, "They always put it down at night." Interesting. Okay, thanks for the call, Larry. Yeah, we'll see if anybody else has tips for getting cheap gas prices. I'll give you my tips when we come back. Brian Lilly, Beyond the News, News Talk Five Eighty CFRA. 
Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. According to OttawaGasPrices.com, we are seeing gas prices, um, well, actually, Ottawa Gas Prices, according to their reporting. Now, this is a, a site where you can go on. It's part of Gas Buddy, the same outfit that Dan McTagg's on. It says the uh, Ontario average is 126.8. The Ottawa average, 127.8. The current national average is $1.21. Here's the good news is that we are seeing some spots go down, but according to Ottawa gas prices, the overall reporting is for higher, not lower prices. Dan McTague says we should see lower prices soon. Um, Some thoughts. If you need gas, don't fill up just yet. Everyone just put in 10 bucks, 15 bucks, whatever you need for the next day or so. Just put in that. And drive less or don't, you know, if you need to buy something at a convenience store, buy it at one not attached to a gas station. Make them feel the pain and then bring down the prices. When the prices come down, we can go back in. It's 82 cents a liter in Buffalo. I heard Frank Napolitano on the weekend saying it was um, in the 70s in the Ogdensburg area. That's per liter in Canadian dollars. We're paying a buck twenty-nine here in Ottawa. They're paying a buck eighteen in Toronto. We're all getting our uh, refined gas from the same place. Those are some of my solutions. If you've got tips on that, beyond the news at cfra.com or five two one talk five two one eight two five five star five eighty on Bell Mobility or one eight hundred five eight zero CFRA. The um, The story of the pop-up injection site, we're already getting some calls on that, and I welcome your calls at 521-TALK as well. But Police Chief Charles Bordelow was on. Before I get to clips of him, I'm just going to read the full statement from Anthony DeMonte, the General Manager of Emergency and Protective Services. So he is in charge of bylaw officers. Now, Chief Bordelow, as you heard and will hear, says, well, it's up to the city to, to move it out of the park. Okay, well, I have a different argument for that. So what does bylaw say? Well, DeMonte says bylaw officers have the discretion to enforce in a variety of ways, including the ability to provide a verbal notice to help better inform anyone that may be in contravention of a city bylaw with the goal of compliance. Bylaw and regulatory services provided a verbal notification to organizers of the pop-up site as to the regulations under the City of Ottawa's bylaws. We are continuing to monitor the situation closely and are working collaboratively with partners who have a common goal of saving lives from potential overdoses. We continue to hope for a cooperative solution. Bottom line, bylaw won't do anything about this site, which is, unlike the one in Sandy Hill, illegal. Sandy Hill has an exemption from the federal government, which means the police can't do anything there, bylaw can't do anything there. They have a federal exemption. These guys in the park... They don't, and it's right next to a community center. I'll tweet out the photo in a moment, and you can see it on the Facebook Live video I did earlier. There's a sign from the city of Ottawa that went up this week right next to it encouraging parents to enroll their kids in the rec classes at the the community center right there. Enroll your kids in this class. 
would you take your kids to dance classes, swim classes at a community center next to a place where people are dealing, shooting heroin? Which brings me to the chief of police, because, okay, why are the police not doing anything? Now, Chief Bordalo says, well, it's not up to them. We've said, we've, we've said to the city is that we encourage you to, to, to write to the, the oversight body, whether it's you know, their nurses or the College of Physicians and Nurses or whatever body oversees these professionals, because there are professionals in, in, their, uh, in their day jobs, they should have an active interest in, in, in monitoring and oversight. That's Chief Bordalo talking about the fact that these guys don't have the federal exemption. He also says, well, we get to use our discretion on enforcing laws. In our professional opinion, at this point in time, us going in there and starting to arrest and charge drug addicts who are going to seek help or trying to, to deal with their addictions is not the, the most appropriate course of action. There are addicts all across the city. And if I was a heroin addict who you know, wanted to shoot up and had heroin on me and I left the studio tonight and I was driving home, I'm going off somewhere outside of the downtown core, I'm going to the suburbs, well, then guess what? I get pulled over, I've got heroin on me, I'm facing charges that could lead to seven years in jail. This is two-tiered policing. This is the police acting as social workers. I understand, Police uh, Chief Bordalo, that this is a complex issue. But choosing to enforce some laws and not others, I don't think that's part of the solution. Let's go uh, first call to uh, Michelin in Ottawa. Michelin, you're on Beyond the News. Oh, hi, Brian. Uh, you caught me off with regards to Diane Dean. <laughs> Regarding, uh, what? She... I didn't cut you off? Uh, no, no. You, no, no. It's uh, my French expression with regards to Diane Dean. She was on the news saying that the Rideau Casino, Carlton. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay, was about uh, to... Uh, anyway, uh, she's... I, I haven't been talking about that. What's your thoughts on Bordalo and the pop-up injection site? Okay, but Brian, you're the best. You're a professional. I've listened to you in the morning. I've listened to you from 10 to 2. You're the best. I just wanted to say that uh, 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 Bordalo uh, is a puppet. Uh, the Rainbow Parade, whatever. Uh, he said he will wear his uniform, and then he says, no, I'm going to wear a tennis shirt. And uh, Sandy Hill, there's no assurance for the public, Brian. Uh, security guards and community ambassadors. Oh, uh, he relies. Do you, on... do you feel good about that? You live. No, do you no. live? You live out that way, don't you? Yeah, I do. And he relies on the uh, harm injection site for people monitoring when they're high injected. The people they go once they leave the site. He says they come. Uh, people uh, are uh, people. Uh, the people uh, of. Uh, the, the Sandy Hill, uh, Rideau Street, uh, will, uh, they will follow them uh, throughout the, the street. And I speak to cops, and Brian, I, I, I assure you, I speak to cops, and, I, I, and I, you just go to uh, the, uh, uh, Rideau, the, the, whatever, the big shopping center on uh, Searville and, uh, and uh, Ogilvy. And uh, there's two cops on the, on the, the in their car. There's one guarding the, the you know uh, the the traffic. And I always pull my my uh, window down and I say, "Do you miss uh, Vern White?" 
And they uh, always put their thumbs up and say, yes, we do. Thanks. And, and for Watson, Brian, and for Watson, uh, the safe injection site with regards to if it, if it would be in the Glebe Center, do you think that Watson would want that the uh, injection it, site it, in it, his it, center? In fairness to the mayor, well, one, he doesn't live in the Glebe oh anymore, but he God. used to. But oh, he, okay. hold on, yeah, he lives in the West End now, so put okay. it out there. Well, okay. But but also, yes. he did say that he didn't want this, oh. and it's not, a, it's not a city issue. I keep trying to explain this to people, but the law enforcement is. The federal government said that we uh, were getting a safe injection site, whether we wanted it or not. Okay. But now this law enforcement, between bylaw and police, that is a municipal issue— and they will wear this. Brian, can I say can I say something? Go quick. I got to get to another okay. call before the break. Watson should shout out, should shout out to uh, Trudeau and to uh, make, uh, Win and say we don't. He said we don't want that, Mister Khan. He, he's so much. Well, it, uh, it's uh, not I even. Mean, he said he didn't want it, but he's full. He's a puppet. He's a uh, puppet. Thanks for the call, Michelin. Let's go to Joe in North Bay. Joe, you're on Beyond the News. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing well. Do you guys have one of those up in the Bay yet? Uh, no, no um, safe injection unit yet, but hopefully we'll get one. Okay, what about the pop-up injection site side? This is not nothing. legal. It doesn't have a federal exemption, nothing. Um, no, like we don't have one, but North Bay could honestly use one. Like I was talking to you on Twitter about this, uh, Joe can conserve. We okay, so Joe's been back and forth with me on Twitter. Um, whether you, regardless of the side of the safe injection site debate you come down on, this is an organization run by volunteers. They're not professionals. Some of them might be, but not all of them are. <laughs> Trust me, I was by there earlier today. Um, they're operating out of a tent in a public park next to houses, next to a community center that's advertising, hey, Let's um, enroll your kids for dance class. Yeah, and I agree the site's probably not the perfect location for it. But on the same note, from what I had heard earlier, too, was that this pop-up site was being led by a former drug addict who cleaned his act up. So that's the reason we have Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous. But but when you go to Alcoholics Anonymous, they don't give you a drink. No, they help you stay off, and, and that's what I want. So, I, 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 I want treatment, in Joe. There, though, and you talk to someone who's been in your position before. If you go to say a detox center, like I know in North Bay, we had a detox center on King Street. They shut it down and they moved it into the acute uh, psychiatric inpatient unit in the North Bay Hospital. So we've now gone from a full facility to thirty beds, which has to accommodate suicide risks and people with mental health like there's just no actual and look program I, in I agree that we need it. to do more with addictions and there's obviously a problem across the country but if we're going to claim that we're a country that enforces and adheres to and upholds the rule of law then having an organization that is in violation of health canada regulations of bylaw and of the controlled drug and substances act and everyone stands around and says yeah okay I'm sorry, it just makes me angry because, all right, if I get charged with heroin on me out in the suburbs, can I just say, sorry, complex issue, leave me alone? That's not going to happen. I understand that, too, but maybe it's time to look at the drug laws, too. That's a different argument. 
Nobody, nobody's having that right now. This, they're saying the laws will be enforced in some areas and not in others, on some issues and not on others. It's just like the illegals walking across the border. They've got the <laughs> right progressive it. note in their heart, and so, hey, come on in. Yeah, I was going to say, it's just like the immigration situation. You, you do have to enforce the law across the board, but the thing is... Enforce the law or change the, the law? Site, why aren't they moving it to Sandy Hill then? Well, Sandy Hill is weeks away from opening. They will be opening soon. And by the way, this this is a heroin injection site. And what's the opioid crisis right now? Pills. Well, pills. But the thing is, is like, sorry, I'm a nurse, so I do have a I do have a horse in this race. Um, But you can cut cocaine, which people melt down and inject with carfentanil just as easily. Heroin and cocaine is where you're finding this stuff laced as well as the pills. And the carfentanil crisis is really the big problem as well, too, because people aren't knowing what they're getting, right? Uh, This is the problem with street drugs, period, right now, is that everything's laced with fentanyl. Thanks for the call, Joe. Uh, And call in and debate anytime. We welcome calls from across the country. Uh, 521-TALK, 521-8255. Off to a quick break, then back with more of your calls, more of your thoughts. is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Follow the outrage on Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. Chief Portolo says it's not up to him to act. It's up to bylaw. Bylaw says we're working collaboratively and public health says, well, nothing. All kinds of laws being broken. Nothing happening. Let's go to uh, Stefan and Russell. Stefan, you're on Beyond the News. Hey, Hey, Brian. Hey. How's it going? Very well. It's quick to the topic. Yes. Okay. Well, I'm totally disappointed with uh, Chief Bordelow. Even the city of Ottawa and Bylaw are not doing anything about this. I mean, wouldn't it be simple? Just shut them down and find those who are responsible for running this pop-up tent. It, I, I get Chief Bordelow saying he doesn't want to go after addicts. Well, um, well I'm not asking to go after go, the Go addicts. after the people. Someone should be going after the people running this site. It is illegal. That's what I'm talking about. Go after them and find them. Like, Just shut it down and find them. I wish I wish somebody would. That would be the easy I mean, solution. We're not asking to arrest all the drug addicts because it's not their fault if they're uh, they're an addict, unless they break um, really it all law that's that, like stealing or something. But I mean, at least let's shut them down and uh, just find those who's responsible. Put them up. Yeah, I don't. I don't think this helps anyone. Thanks for the call, Stefan. Okay. Let's go to uh, Kelly in Ottawa. Kelly, you're calling in about Trump. Yes, I'd rather talk about Trump than Canadian politics uh, because it's wretchedly vile. Uh, well, you heard me earlier <laughs> saying that uh, people have it all wrong about Trump. Uh, well, of course, you know, uh, Brian, look at Canada. I once thought, you know, I myself, like everybody, came here at one time or the other. There was a time Canada stood for something. Now Canada stands for anything immoral, filthy, promiscuous, and disgusting. That's what we stand on. It's Satan's new domain. I, I think you, you could say the same thing about the U.S., quite no, frankly. Well, at least you know what? They have a man, whether we like him or not, look at all the odds. Are you a man of faith? I know that. I know that because I, I, uh, I just learned a few things about uh, you as a person. And I know in terms of this aspect, most Canadians cannot reflect on this. It will just go over their head. 
uh, when you are a person of faith, you know one thing, as it says, when God anoints anoint you, nobody can overrule you or nobody can destroy you. And we see that with Trump. At least it's a man who is trying to come to God and believe in it. We have a PM who is for everything filthy and immoral, including his wretched self. And all, uh, okay, all but uh, do, do you want to say anything about Trump's policy, Kelly, or did you just want to rant that Trudeau is immoral and Trump is well, not? Well, yeah, part of it is a rant because whenever we go on Trump, at least the man can speak. We have a dodo head who cannot speak because he's always smoking dope. Uh, he at least stands for something. This one stands for nothing. Only thing, look at this, the, uh, during the gay parade, how, how immoral, how uh, uh, belittle, how much they belittle the military to have, why should the military be part of the gay parade? Do we have straight parade? Because they wanted wait, to. Wait, wait, do we have straight parade? No. How filthy has Canada stood for? It has well, become the, uh, Kelly, domain, just, just uh, a minute. Uh, uh, just a minute, Kelly. I, I've never been... I don't plan on going, but this is part of why I won't run for politics. I don't want to go to parades and every festival around town. But the guys there in uniform were there because they wanted to be. But what? What? Why don't? Why don't they have military parade for straight people? Like how stupid is that? But this is what we stand for. Anything that does with anything against God, and we're going to see the wrath of God that comes. What, and we're already seeing it. In what, the what I tell all the Christians, all this, eh? what I tell all Christians that are upset at the the way the world is going, if you want the world to change, get out there and evangelize. But just well, complaining do, won't won't I do, do but, much. But you know what? Though? This is the thing that people always say. Well, oh well, we go with the flow. Well, those people who are drug addicts, it's not the problem. If you gay, it's not your fault. Everything is not anybody's fault. But it is the the, 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 okay. the fault of who? But All it right. tells you one thing. We are in a country that is so demonic because of the, the, the swines called politicians that lead it. Thanks for the call, Kelly. God bless. All right. Do we have time to go to somebody else? Um, who wants to go quick? Frank in Greeley, you're calling in about the Thai cats. Frank, go. Oh, my God. A great victory last night. Well, they... Uh, quite a game, eh? wasn't it? It, it oh delayed God. by more than two hours, and it took them a long time to... Um, uh, uh, we, we, uh, they, they, they barely scraped by. I thought they were going to lose it at the last second. That's crazy. Uh, oh, man. But, I mean, you know, this uh, congratulations to these guys. No, they're coming, you know, they're going to come back, and Ottawa's going to have a hard time. They're at the, yeah, they're playing next. Yeah, well, so, no, but these guys did Mazzoli and all these guys. They, we're they, playing Hamilton on on uh, yeah, on the, Saturday, uh, and Saturday. at this point, I have to go for the uh, nope. the Red Blacks for sure. No, I don't. Got to go for the Red Blacks in this I'm one. A Hamilton fan. All right, thanks for the call, Frank. <laughs> Take care, bye. All right, I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. We'll get to all of your calls if you're on the line. We'll get to you. We got the Sens uh, contest coming up. All of that moments away. I'm Brian Lilly. Back in moments. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. In our professional opinion, at this point in time, us going in there and starting to arrest and charge drug addicts who are going to seek help or trying to to deal with their addictions is not the the most appropriate course of action. 
Ottawa Police Chief Charles Bordalo on why uh, his officers are not acting on the pop-up injection site. But then again, neither is Health Canada, neither is the Ontario government. Eric Hoskins, our provincial health minister, met with the organizers behind it today. So the police aren't acting. Health Canada is not acting. The province isn't acting. Bylaws not acting. Police, city hall. It's frustrating. Stephen's got his work cut out for him because everyone's calling in for the sense contest, and you guys have most of the lines taken up. Let's go uh, first to Gloria in Ottawa. Gloria, you're on Hi. Beyond the News. Hi there, Brian. Hello. Listen, you know what? The Police Chief Bordelow is breaking the law himself by allowing this illegal pop-up drug tent to operate. You know, and it's unbelievable. I'd like to know, when is it okay to break the law and when isn't it? You yeah, know, I, I'm not sure he's actually breaking the law. He's saying he's they're using their illegal, discretion, but I think your second question is very appropriate. You know, what? Okay, and and I asked him, give me a list of what laws I can break. Exactly. Oh, you know, that, yeah. that, that's a simplistic view. No, no. What laws can I break? What laws can't I break? Mm-hmm. I, I find him to be a weak, ineffective police police chief and he, he talks in circles and he makes excuses and he passes on his responsibility onto others well uh, he's there to enforce the law that's that's my view unfortunately yeah. like most police chiefs charles bordelow is more politician than police officer now and that's how you get the jobs and that's how you keep the jobs so mm. it's and I, i've seen it with the head of the rcmp nationally i've seen it with the head of the rcmp Provincially, because in in Alberta, Saskatchewan, and the uh, Maritime provinces, they have the the RCMP mm-hmm. as their um, or not not Newfoundland, but the other three. That's their police forces, and all of these chiefs and several municipal chiefs. They're more politician than police officer. I don't even know. They'd even make a bad politician. And and I can't believe that he thinks bylaw should be responsible for allowing uh, this illegal uh, pop-up uh, drug tent to, uh, to operate. And according to, uh, this is it. According to uh, Bordelow, the way I see it, if a person knows there is an illegal drug operation in the house going on in the house next door. He's supposed to call a bylaw officer to report it instead of the police. Is that what he 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 wants uh, people to do? I no, mean, this is so no, ridiculous. He, he's saying to move it out of the tent. That's or move it out of the park. That's bylaw. But it's um, he it's, says, well, we can't we can't go in there an yet. Illegal drug. That, exactly. Place. So they're in a public place. His that's officers right. can go in and he, stop it. But he's. Passing the buck. They're the, all passing the buck, Gloria. Oh, exactly. But I blame Bordlow because he is the police chief of the city of Ottawa. And and he, he, he just wants to pass everything on to, to, to the nurses, the bylaw officers, anybody that he can think of. And he's, he's so, he's, he needs to resign. I'm sorry to say this. He is, he is most, the, very, very, very ineffective. And uh, I mean, there's we, we hear about oh, when when things happen, when there's bullets flying all over the place. Just because a resident hasn't been uh, accidentally shot, oh, if we find out about it a week or two or three later. This, I mean, really, it's um, he he he's not the person for the job. I wish we had Vern White on. I I, right. I tell you. Thanks for the call, uh, Gloria. Let's see who is next. Who's been waiting longest? Shirley in Bayshore. 
Well, I tell you, I have never been lost for words, but tonight I am, but I'm going to give what I can. I have never heard such gobbledygook in my all my life. You I listen remember, to politicians all the time. Don't lie. I'm not I'm not talking <laughs> about Chief Bortolot. Oh, what are you talking about? About the, uh, what he's allowed this city to do. I can go back to when I was seven years old when Leo Sige was the chief of police. I have never seen one. I, I just can't believe what this man said. Do you realize, first of all, that I, he said it's irresponsible. You're damn right it's irresponsible, Mr. Bartolo. You're allowing three people breaking the law that set up these tents. You got the chief of police himself, you got the city, you got the bylaw, you got the mayor, you got the drug users, and you know who's benefiting at all? The drug dealers that are handing it all out. It's a really big joke. But I have, I, I, I'm telling you, I, I'm, I just can't even understand how a chief of police thinks that this is all okay. I don't care who's to blame, whether it's bylaw or not. I don't believe it's bylaw at all. They could issue a ticket. If you were breaking the, uh, a bylaw, would they not issue you a ticket? If I set up a lemonade stand next the to the... little girls did. If I set one up next to that injection site, I bet that police and bylaw would be all over me. They'd be there in five minutes, Brian. Yeah. I went down last week and inspected the joint, too, myself. It is unbelievable for anyone who ever is responsible, whether it's Jim Watson or it's Chief Bortolo or whoever, should be ashamed of themselves on public property. Actually, it's not. It's the city's. It's the taxpayer's property. And they're setting up this illegal joint, allowing the, the, the people to go in while they benefit from it. What good? So if they move, if they listen to them, these three people, and move to Sandy Hill, are they it's, still not breaking the law? Yes, it's still illegal. So, uh, so why is it he thinks it's okay as long as they move there? I, I don't know. I don't understand this. Could you get him back on and let the people call in and ask him? I wonder if he would take that. I didn't ask him to take calls. I did some of the questions you asked him. I'd like to ask him only one question. What's How that? How you, as chief of the police of the capital of Canada, can allow this illegal nonsense to go on and you think it's okay? Shirley? And I hope and I know he's still listening. Shirley? And the name is Shirley. I, I encourage you to uh, to share to this online any way you can, okay? I've just posted it to CFRA in my own Facebook page. I appreciate it, Brian. Pass it around so that people can discuss this. I because passed anything you put on I, Facebook I, I don't think that these, um, these questions illegal, have been asked and enough. he's allowing an illegal thing to yep. be okay. All right, thanks for the call. You're welcome. Let's go to Alan in Ottawa. Alan, you're on Beyond the News. Hi. Uh, I'd like to first of all start with immigration there. Yeah. Um, I've been to Tijuana, Mexico. Yeah. And right behind the border crossing there, hundreds of people were crossing illegally. The guards were looking directly ahead, not not trying to get them as they cross the border. Uh, you see rafts of people crossing right behind the. Well, we're having that in Canada now. I know that, and uh, this is why it should be stopped. We should just put them on a bus and send them back. Well, that would be the cheapest way of dealing with things, I think. That would uh, that would actually be uh, illegal, but there's a there's another quick fix, what and that it? is change the Safe Third Countries Act. Okay, but yes, we I won't do that. that. We won't do that. So 
What can I say? Yeah, uh, yeah. And everybody has spoken up so far. Bordelow is ignoring his responsibilities. Chief Watson's ignoring his responsibilities, and most of the police force are ignoring their responsibilities. Let me. Uh, do you remember? I I called somebody. I went to the mission for breakfast one morning. I called somebody out for cutting the line. Well, that guy dragged me across the street. I road rash for about a week. And did you know what they did? They gave me paper. Saying, if you do it again, you're going to jail. He should have been put in jail. But the two cops that handed him this piece of paper mm-hmm. accused me of running after him down the road trying to get back at him. Well, that, 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 I that's, can't get into your own personal story on that, Alan. But all right, that's fine. But it's, I just um, want people to know that this is what's happening. Yeah, but they, they ignore it, and then they say his crime is down in the city. It's not. All right, thanks for the call. Let's okay. go to James in Ottawa. Oh, wait, wrong line. There we go. James, James in Ottawa. You're on Beyond the News. Hi. Uh, I thought you might want to hear from a social democrat. Okay. Well, maybe you don't. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I want to hear from all kinds of people, but social democrats also believe in the rule of law, don't they? Of course I do. You know, and. and uh, I understand that when you're a police, especially the chief of police, you don't just have to worry about criminal court, but also the court of public opinion. And it's and you do have to play a politician. I get it. I don't disagree with them, and and, and I I really believe strongly that uh, we need a much different way of approaching uh, narcotics issues in this country. I don't disagree wholly with the uh, with safe injection sites. I do, however, agree that there probably is a double standard. And that is, if they took this pop-up site and put it in Rockcliffe Park, I want to see how long <laughs> that stayed there. Well, the, the the chief lives in a pretty nice neighborhood, too. I doubt he would want it in his park. And that, and that's my problem. Is so many people, you know, they would identify like me as social Democrats or liberals, and they think these are wonderful ideas. Okay, well, let's have it go up across the street from your house and see what happens. Uh, then everybody is calling up the uh, chief of police and the mayor and their counselor and saying, do something about this. It's next to yeah. my community center. My kids swim there. Well, what about the people that live in Lower Town? Just because they live in Lower Town, they have to put up with this? Yeah, exactly. So put it in, So put it in. like I said, Rockcliffe Park or something, and, and let's just see how long it stays there before... People throw up a big uh, kick up a lot of dust and make a lot of noise. I bet you it would not last a couple of days. Look, James, I'm I'm not a fan of uh, safe injection sites, whatever name we want to use them now, because I think that we have been spending the last decade on this issue and ignoring addiction treatment. I think that we need to focus on getting people off drugs rather than managing their nasty habit. Hey, there's nothing yeah. safe about about heroin. So, but we spent all this time and energy pushing for this and the crisis keeps growing. And then they say, oh, see, we need more safe injection sites rather than saying, well, we need more treatment. And I'd, I'd rather focus yeah. on treatment. That aside, or that said, Sandy Hill Community Health Center has an exemption from the federal law and they're about to open. And so the feds and the province and everyone's agreed that's where it's going to go. This these guys just go to Canadian Tire, get some tents, throw them up in a public park and say, we're here. Oh, but by the way, if you are really concerned about addicts, it's only open from six to nine. So if you want to shoot heroin at an irregular hour, you're out of luck. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I will agree also that uh, there, there hasn't seemed to be that transition between 
supervised safe injection site and treatment. I haven't quite seen that link happen yet, so I, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence of both them as well. All right. Thanks for the call, James. Pleasure. 521-TALK, 521-8255. See, we can have calm, rational discussions on this show, even with people that are on different political spectrums. Back with more of your calls, final thoughts for the show for the night after these messages. is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Get some FaceTime with Brian. Join the resistance at Facebook.com slash 580CFRA. So just, I I did a Facebook Live rant in front of the gas station earlier today, and I know all the calls are on Bordelow and the safe injection sites and the pop-up injection sites. Uh, but I just did a rant on my own Facebook page, Facebook.com slash Brian Lilly around Four o'clock, four thirty today. It's got forty-five thousand views right now and uh, eleven hundred shares. I think I struck a nerve. It's similar to the rant I, I did earlier. So if you want to share it, hey, go out and click share. Would really appreciate it. Um, some people say Brian, just stop talking about safe injection sites. You know that battle's lost. We're getting them. Well, this isn't about whether we're getting them. We are getting them. The feds have decided that. This is about whether we allow illegal ones to operate instead of legal ones. And this one is illegal, and it violates so many rules, so many regulations, so many laws. I can't believe it's still going on. Guy, the Capital Voice, you're on Beyond the News. Hi, Brian. Yes, regarding your uh, Facebook live feed, um, looking at the analytics, you should be the one having the national show. Oh, my God, the the, the, the resounding uh comment move along guy okay very quickly uh correct me if i'm wrong uh chief bordelow said that security will be the responsibility of the sandy hill community center i want to just clarify a few things because i'm going to go off on a tangent here follow the money always works for me brian and all of rob boyd's employees come from the university of ottawa mary lou gagnon's email address is from the university of ottawa the Health Service Sciences Division of the University of Ottawa was also the one who brought Mark Tyndale here in 2014. Surely we'll remember that in the mock-up injection site on Murray Street. To make a long story short, Brian, this is about the creation of the Harm Reduction Nurses Association, which Mary Lou Gagnon is the president of, and the creation of a new industry. You nailed it exactly correctly. Harm reduction has been the buzzword for 10 years. We are three years behind the loop in safe injection sites because now it's a pill format, and they're still behind it, but anyway, that's, that's regardless. But Mary Lou Gagnon and Janice had a meeting with Rob Boyd, had their own meeting on Sunday after Pride at 4 o'clock, which I reported to you on, and that was nine days ago. So what has to take place in nine days to move a tent from one locale to another? Well, even if they move a guy, it's still illegal, and it shouldn't All be happening. Days? Brian, what I'm saying is it's all a game. It's all to make sure that the one the weather gets a little bit colder and Rob finishes his, his uh, renovation and he streams out his services to a full-time, which is what he was quoted on with on CFRA for the million and a half dollars he's getting. Where is he getting all his people from? The University of Ottawa. I just wish, Brian, there was a drug treatment nurses association that, not that, only a harm reduction. That would be nicer. 
Got to run, guy. Thanks for the call. Going to oh, try. Brian, and, yep. One last point on the Red Blocks Hamilton game. Could we invite Bordalo, Demonte, and Watson and Levy and do a pass punt kick contest? <laughs> Talk to you later. Uh, at the Red Blacks game, it is Thank Hank Saturday. That's going to be happening. Michelle in Ottawa. Good evening. What a show. What a night. They still got a couple of calls, so I'm going to try and get to them. Okay, so let's well, go I'll quick. Try and be very quick. When, when Sister had said about divine providence, it was just, it was so beautiful. And it just brings you back to a time when the world was not, not as crazy as it is right now. And there was a story about Mother Teresa where she, when she went to visit in New York, some contractor had carpeted the place where she was going to stay and she asked him to remove all the carpeting and that's because it was her law and her rule and a good leader follows the rules and enforces the laws and you know in a way i feel sorry for chief bordelow because it must be extremely confusing for him we've got all these trust fund politicians who now will continue to fill their dynasties with by owning these legal drug companies that are coming out and uh, you know we've got a government right now Kathleen wind government that wants to profit off of addiction it's turning it into an industry and it's got to be confusing and if bordelow arrest these people and send them to the courthouse, how long are they going to be there? You know, there's a nun treating people and making sure that, that they're going to visit the mentally ill, and we know that addiction and mental illness are co-concurrent. And, and Brian, thank God that you're, you're, you're pointing it out, because years ago, a few years back, there was an actor from Glee who overdosed, I can't remember his name, a young Canadian kid. Oh. He was a famous actor. Oh, Corey Monteith. There, yes, and I saw an addiction specialist from Vancouver, and that specialist on TV said one of the biggest fallacies around addiction is that you cannot force a person into treatment. The best thing you will ever do for that person is force them into treatment, and the sooner you stop their addiction, the sooner you save their life. And so even though these people that are down there believe that they're doing a wonderful thing because there is nowhere else for these addicts to go, they're really not helping the person. But until this government wakes up, and now tomorrow night in the United States, there's a special about the opiate addiction crisis. And thank God for Trump, because he's a man who came from a family. He doesn't drink. He understands addiction. He saw good people taken down from it. Including his own brother, I believe. Yes, and, and that's phenomenal. But I don't want to take up all the time. What I do want to tell you is that... Um, it's so important that you continue to do that, and it's so important that we follow the, the letter of the law. And and when you're dealing with an addict, the most important thing you can do is show them that you're either doing this or you're not. We've got to give them options. If you give a person, if you give an alcoholic a drink, you're just keeping them trapped and you're making them that's, sicker. And you're something I've brain. watched on my own. i, I got to run now, Michelle, but thanks for the uh, thanks for the call tonight. Thank you. All right. Just about out of time. Uh, I can tell you that Kevin Harton from Gloucester got in to win on the Ultimate Sends Super Seats giveaway. I hope I got that right. Your next chance to win is tomorrow morning, 735 with The Morning Rush. And speaking of The Morning Rush, don't forget, you can have breakfast with Bill and he'll pay. Trust me, you go with Bill. Bill's not paying. So somebody gave him money, obviously. Uh, We will be back at it again tomorrow night. Do check out my website, brianlilly.com. New content every day. Share the stuff on Facebook. Thanks for listening. Remember, I'm on your side.